If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today with a brand new LRT on the way. Ha ha ha. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son, along with news anchors Ted, Diana, and Lisa, and the production prowess of still Will Erskine. And now your host, Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Ted Michaels here, as well. uh, Lisa Paleski, Diana Weeks on holiday, and of course, Will is here. Oh, poll question of the day. Got to get that out of the way first. Uh, uh, The protests helping or hurting Justin Trudeau. Yesterday, 58% said helping. Uh, And then the poll question for the day uh, today. Will the LRT be a great economic driver for the city or an epic fail? Do you want to weigh in on that, Ted? Uh, 84% uh, or sorry, uh, we don't know that one yet because we'll find out tomorrow with with Rick Zamperin on Good Morning Hamilton. So there you go. I don't know. Um, It's not going to be an epic fail. How could it be possibly an epic fail? Let's be serious I'm just glad that it's finally over, I think. Finally over with. Yeah, well, uh, and apparently soon, uh, at the beginning of 2022, we will start to see physical changes in the downtown, which is neato. Yeah, they got to do all that, you know, going cable and all that other stuff that I don't understand. Yeah, replace all the stuff that's underneath there. Wait till they start peeling open uh, Main Street and such and see what they find out down there. Oh, my goodness, it's going to be incredible. All right, uh, hang on a sec, Ted. Top stories we're working on right now. Obviously, the debates tonight, Mm -hmm. uh, 9 o'clock, we're carrying that live. Uh, Also, uh, in regard to uh, COVID-19, Alberta now uh, stopping elective surgeries, also finding out that $23,000 is the cost of an average COVID-19 stay in Canada, which is just unbelievable. So obviously things uh, are pretty tense, but most of us are vaccinated, and that's a great sign, and we got to keep up that push. Adam Oldfield on with the Alan Carter Show earlier on today. I'm excited to say that the way they set this up is it's going to be downloaded to your phone or digital device. If you have a tablet, a, a smartphone, uh, it will be able to run independent. What that means is it's not cloud-based, um, but it does synchronize. So what that means is that all your information, your health card, your driver's license, uh, maybe your fishing license, uh, whatever the information on your phone is going to be protected from all of the security features within it. So biometrics, fingerprints, uh, retinal scans, uh, all of it will be there. It will also have the ability to shut off in the case you lose your phone. And then it just synchronizes, Jeff. It actually will just call to a server when you want to update content to the actual ministry website. This has sort of gone onto the radar. Not getting a lot of reporting on this today, but Ontario is preparing to launch a, uh, a digital ID program. And basically, this is off of one card. You remember you used to have the old age majority card, and then all of a sudden they put your, 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 your picture on your driver's license. There was no need for that. Well, now... Uh, what it looks like is the same sort of uh, idea, but it is all in one card. Uh, and that includes your driver's license, your vaccination information, and everything that uh, Adam was just referring to, which is brilliant. And, uh, you know, I think, again, this should have been discussed at the federal level and with all the provinces way back when, because uh, basically what they've, do- they've done is they've incorporated everything that's into your driver's license, which is obviously pretty secure, and, and then added this suite of, of other stuff that it does, which includes um, picking up packages, opening a bank account, accident, uh, accessing and using your vaccination records, uh, visiting a doctor, making a medical appointment, uh, your medical records online as a businesses you can use it for hiring new employees proving your identity opening business accounts uh id at the bank all that sort of thing so uh this is uh when you think about it we we've really progressed in this discussion uh and again i want to talk about that this new digital app from ontario and plus the terminology being used passport and certificate does it matter apparently it does let's bring in Alyssa freeman pr and pop culture expert Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hello, Scott. So, your thoughts. Let's start first with the 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 name passport or certificate. Does this raise uh, people's suspicion? Does it get the hair up on the back of their neck? What it, does the term matter here? You know what? Words always matter, Scott. And sometimes you know you think that a word is benign, 
And then all of a sudden, everybody gets up in arms about it. And sometimes you don't know that until you start bandying about the word. So it's interesting that we've talked about the word passport because people look at it as, well, what is a passport? It's an official document. It has all those things that you mentioned that are on it. Um, it allows me to go places. Uh, it, it proves who I am. But, you know, it, it seems that people are having a bit of a visceral reaction to passport. And, I, I mean, honestly, I, personally, I don't think that it, it, the word doesn't bother me because it actually says what it is. But I think it's the fact that it has um, the notion of restriction attached to it. Yeah. And maybe that is what what's bothering people. But to be sure, Scott, and when Will first called me and said, you know, you know what do we call this thing? People are, are not to have, like, liking the word certificate or passport. I'm thinking, what is a word that, or what is a phrase that people like, that they understand, um, that doesn't, that has maybe a more positive connotation? And honestly, Scott, I, I came up with one phrase. But you know when you go to Disney World? Yeah. And Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Okay, you know where I'm going here? Yes, I do. Go. So, what if we call it a fast pass? Yes, what that is brilliant. Access pass, okay? Yes. You go to a concert, yeah. you have all access, you could go backstage, you can go front fast stage, pass. you can go wherever you want. <laughs> you know, so maybe that's what we call it. So that it doesn't have the overhang of connotations that are already attached to these very, very important documents that, you know, we rely on to get places, but that obviously have the connotation of restriction. Now, an all-access pass also has restriction attached to it. I mean, you know, yep. you can slice and dice the terminology any way you want. It's like VIP. Yes. You know, maybe it has more of a positive connotation to it versus something that is already attached to a particular uh, doc, official document. And therefore, this would separate it out um, in a way that may make people feel a little bit better about having it. Now, uh, would that seem like second class? Because again, we're all about we're not we're not about having first, second, and third and fourth classes anymore. It's all about equality. So, uh, you know, if you call it a VIP pass, could the, you have the opposite backlash? Well, I would call it the all access pass. I like the fast pass, man. You have just earned your PR stripes here, Alyssa. That is a brilliant idea. I actually sat there and I thought, well, what the heck is she going to call it, really? And then I thought, oh, what about all access or fast pass? Because fast pass, you go to Disney, you look at the times, and you go, okay, I'm putting down my fast pass, and that means that I can skip the line. So, you know, American Express thought of it first, right? So they thought about skip the line. They didn't say it was you need to have this color card or if you don't have a black card, you're going nowhere. You know, they didn't want to have the sense of restriction placed on a potential customer. So if you look at what the credit cards have figured out and what Annex did so long ago um, is that, you know, you don't put a restrictive sounding word on it. Instead, you create a positive spin on it. And maybe... And maybe, you know, you're going to get that 20% jaded, you know, group that's going to say, oh, you know, it's really just this with another name. Yeah. But you know what, Scott? There's 20% of the people that are going to scream about everything. So, uh, uh, 80%. I, I, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. And and, and honestly, I, I, I think the fast pass is a great idea. Let's talk about this uh, new uh, digital ID program that Ontario is launching. It's not getting a lot of uh, attention right now. But as we squabble and, and yak back and forth about vaccine passports, this seems to be the solution that we were talking about all along. And that's like, you know, just simply put a chip in my head that tells everything and I'll lean into the gas pump when I want to pay or give me a card that does the same and Ontario seems to have done this with this digital ID that will sort of be your driver's license your health card and all that sort of thing all mashed into one what are your thoughts about that well you know that's just crazy when I think about that isn't that what we all talked about 15 or 20 years ago when (laughs) um, the the futurists let's say were coming out with something that you know what, what if we just had one code where we just it just said everything I mean, you know, people are going to be worried that the amount of access to information all in one place, I mean, I would say that that would give me pause. But then I think that if people want to access your information, they're going to be able to do it anyways. So this could be interesting. And I think that the government's been sort of not shouting this from the rooftops for the very reason that 
you know, they're not interested in backlash right now, especially we're still in an election cycle. So it'll be interesting to see, Scott, actually how they do roll out this digital ID program. Um, I think the convenience of it is, is, is great. I think that, you know, remember when banks switched from, you know, tellers to ATMs? Same thing, and yeah. People said, no, I still want to go to the teller. I want to have the yeah. personal interaction. Then you're like, you know what? I'm in a hurry. I want to get my money and leave. So I think that people are going to have that, you know, that initial hesitation. But I think at the end of the day, I, I, I think that, you know, many Ontarians will like the convenience of it. This should have come under the direction or suggestion of the federal government, and it would have saved us a lot of hassles. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that I think that the federal government really has to have the courage to step up and do, and this is definitely one of those things. Alyssa Freeman with us, Alyssa PR, uh, PR and pop culture expert. What's in a name? Well, instead of a passport, call it a fast pass. Honestly, you should get a fee for this. I think they're going to run with it, Alyssa. Man, <laughs> yeah. oh, man. I hope they do, and I'm loving your new time slot, Scott, so congratulations on that. Thanks so much, Alyssa. You be well. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Facebook and Twitter, you can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines are always open, always encouraging you to uh, call in, but we, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, put a segment to it because it's just, man, so fast, so much stuff going on here. So uh, call us, and believe me, we will try to squeeze you in uh, some way. All right, poll question of the day today. Uh, Will the LRT be a great economic driver for the city or an epic fail? Oh, my goodness. Will it blow chunks? Will it stink to high heaven? Uh, Will Man's got the uh, results. What are we looking at? Is this going to be an epic fail? What have we got so far? Well, if you ask the people of Hamilton, or at least those on Twitter, it will be an epic fail. 53.4% currently saying that. However, 46.6% think it will be a great economic driver. All right, Rick Zamperin will have the details tomorrow on uh, Good Morning Hamilton on uh, still obviously a pretty contentious issue when it comes to uh, the LRT uh, in Hamilton. Uh, either way, it is a go. Of course, they voted on it yesterday, so uh, the MOU is on its way, and the LRT is coming soon. All right, I wanted to read you a couple of email. by the way. Uh, send us a note whenever you want, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. On that note, Dave says LRT will be an epic success. Billions of dollars of private sector money. Uh, I think everybody believes so. Uh, Joe, on the other hand, uh, talking about mandatory vaccines, might as well move to China if we're gonna like, uh, if we're gonna live like them. Ha ha, says, uh, Joe. Feel free to offer your opinions. Uh, uh, we would love to hear from you. Peter's on the line right now, wants to talk LRT. What are your thoughts, Peter? Well, Scott, I'm thinking this is gonna be an abysmal failure. How come? It's, it's a waste of money. Well, where does it go, Scott? From McMaster to Deescape. Uh, you don't want to go there. Um, what am I going to do there? Buy a case of beer? Like I- <laughs> well, uh, you know, I guess it's for the people that do use that transit route. It, it's, still a, it's, still a busy, it's still a busy transit route, and, uh, you know, there will be a lot of people that do use it as well. We've already seen development along the route pick up. That doesn't work for you? Yeah, Scott, well. Where's the ridership in all this? You see these buses, they're 90%. And I mean, I keep eye on things. I'm a. You're starting to break up on this, bud. We're going to have to let you go. Uh, you know, I. <laughs> Obviously, it's a busy line. Uh, obviously, they predict that there will be uh, riders already there. And why would they not use a new LRT if they uh, are already using uh, buses on what is uh, already a busy route? But as you can tell, uh, still lots and lots of uh, chatter in regard to the LRT and uh, how we move forward on this. Uh, that being said, it's going to be fascinating to watch the next uh, few years and how this all transpires. All right, coming up. On Hamilton today, election debate tonight, another one, English version of 9 o'clock tonight. We've got it live right here on CHML. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Don Laval, Harvard president of the Ontario Native Women's Association and director of the First People's Housing of Learning at Trent University. She is with us now. If uh, and Well, first of all, uh, we'll bring Don on. Uh, Dr. Don, thanks so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. Uh, 
you're very welcome. Happy to be here. You know, uh, we were talking about this, and, and the intro to this piece is as if you were asked a few uh, a short while ago about whether issues affecting Indigenous communities across Canada would be a big issue in the election. You probably would said they have to be. I remember having this discussion with you, Don, and you know, one of the greatest fears was that after Kamloops, that this would fall by the wayside, and we wouldn't be talking about it as much. French, de- uh, French debate last night, English debate tonight. Are you? Uh, how, how do you feel about Indigenous issues being addressed on the campaign trail uh, to date? I think you can see a real difference between this election campaign and the last election campaign. I mean, it's it's in there in the platforms, but in terms of sort of conversations with average Canadian citizens, it's not in the conversations the same way as it was previously when we were talking about missing and murdered, when we were talking about you know clean drinking water on the previous campaigns. Why is that? What does that say? <laughs> I mean, for me, I think what it says is that this was a very exceptionally poorly timed call for election. We have yeah. people right now who are just struggling to survive, struggling to get through this fourth wave, trying to figure out. I mean, I got my kids just all went back to school yesterday and, mm. you know, one is already out. And so, you know, people are just trying to figure out how to get through the next couple of months and, and what that means in terms of their daily lives and their safety with regard to COVID. And a lot of people are focused on that. I'm just not seeing the level of engagement that we saw in previous elections, especially with the young people. So uh, you think everybody is so distracted with COVID-19, we're not really examining, digging deep and looking at all of the issues. And, you know, you can see that sort of with the topics that have come up over the last uh, week or so. It seems, my goodness, why are we talking about this? Uh, this isn't what you would normally uh, see in a uh, an election campaign. Do you think people are just too distracted then? I, I think people are super distracted right now, but I think it's also a really very short election campaign. You know, by the time people kind of get interested in it and conversations start happening, it's going to be done. Like I myself mm. looked at it and thought, holy cow, like this is almost over. Are uh, you convinced, uh, obviously in the debate, and, and I believe in the debate coming up tonight as well, reconciliation is on the docket. Um, you mentioned it is it is getting that much attention. Uh, your thoughts on, on the debate uh, of last night and, and that it is on the docket tonight, will that, do you think, uh, generate more interest in these issues? Well, I certainly hope it does. Like we said, you know, previously in the summer, we would have thought that, you know, having found the mass graves, that people are going to really be focusing on this. But like I said, it's people are pretty much are very disengaged on a lot of stuff. And yet at the same time, you know, I'm seeing things that I'm surprised this is happening in Canada. I mean, people are pelting the prime minister with, with rocks yeah. in London. Like that, yeah. I just woke up and thought, wow, like that, that kind of stuff doesn't normally happen here. So it's a very surreal feeling. And, and my concern is, again, you know, that because we are getting distracted with that kind of issue, yeah. you're not talking about the important issues with regard to, you know, anything outside of mass, mass debates and vaccine debates, you know, such as, you know, the long-term situation for Indigenous peoples, long-term economic development, you know, how are we going to get out of this pandemic? We're, we're too focused on, on some of these sort of flashpoint hot issues right now. And, I mean, you look at the, the different parties, you know, O'Toole, the Conservatives, you know, they want to see progress on all the TRC calls to action, but they're really focused on economic development, which, you know, in previous generations has been a code word for bootstrapism. You know, like we just focus on economic development and all the rest of it will fix itself and not looking at, you know, how do we focus on some healing to address the colonization, the, the mass graves, you know, all of those things that have, have left a terrible legacy and need to be addressed simultaneously so that we can in our communities focus on economic development. And, you know, NDP, what I find really interesting is this, he's talking about a true nation-to-nation relationship, which is somehow hinting at, I, I just saw actually the Congress of Aboriginal Peoples have filed a legal petition to the United Nations looking into the Trudeau government's nation-to-nation policy, which has excluded a huge majority of Indigenous peoples, those ones who are not living on First Nation territory. Hmm. So, you know, there's all kinds of sort of backdoor background conversations happening about what nation-to-nation means for the vast majority of Indigenous people.
Where are we? We obviously remember chatting with the discovery of the bodies underneath the uh, residential school site in Kamloops. Where is where is this story now? Where are these searches? Are they continuing? Can you give us an update? Yeah, the the searches are continuing, but it it is quiet. Right? I mean, a lot that that's the the shocking part. I was actually I was expecting more attention to this. I was expecting to hear more by now and and there's not i mean there's a lot of conversation in communities about the need for reparations not just to the residential school survivors themselves but for those families who who lost children in this you know how do we heal whole communities and nations in terms of you know to help them address to help them cope to help them you know um to help them heal from, from these findings and from, you know, losing their children in this incredibly horrific way. And that needs to be done as an entire community. Do you think you'll get those answers tonight? I, I doubt we'll get those answers tonight. I suspect there's going to be a lot of conversation about masks and vaccines and, you know, because people are, as we said, just yeah. very focused on what's happening right now because kids are going back to school. People are getting, you know, vaccine mandates. I, I actually... I work at a university and, you know, students are going back to lectures shoulder to shoulder in lecture halls because they, they don't have social distancing if they have their masks on. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on that people are focused on the very immediate. I, I unfortunately suspect that reconciliation will be a code word, but I don't think people have a real concept of what does that actually mean on the ground in terms of really having some concrete actions to make a difference. Uh, 77 candidates uh, running that ideas indigenous or Métis. Your thoughts on that? Well, this is really has it, um, two different sides to it. One is that in previous generations, many First Nations, many Indigenous communities completely rejected participation in the sort of larger Canadian government process, sort of seeing that as the colonizer's government. That's mm. not for us. Um, many communities, many elders, you know, wouldn't even vote because they said that's those people. But current generation saying, you know, we recognize that that is a sort of colonial government, but it's the government we have. And those are the people that are making the decisions about the lands and the resources and and the budgets that impact the lives of our children and our elders. And so we need to get involved in that. So I think there's a changing in perspective with this younger generation in terms of the need to get involved in and sit at those tables where those decisions are being made. And at the same time, I think there's an awareness in some of these political parties that if they want to be elected, they have to start representing the diversity of Canadian society. I mean, it's it's the same reason you know, I look at Peterborough and there's four women running as candidates. And so there is, whether their heart was in the right place or whether this is just a strategic recognition that they have to start getting a more diverse uh, candidate pool in order to address the diverse population we have in Canada. I think there's certainly a reflection that, you know, those who don't address this diversity are going to get left behind as people are becoming more aware of the fact that right up until now, governments were not representative of the diversity that exists in Canadian society. Dr. Don Laval, Harvard with us, president of the Ontario Native Women's Association and director of the First Peoples Housing of Learning at Trent University in Peterborough. Uh, Don, as always, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You're very welcome. Take care. Always good to see you. The phone lines are always open. You can always send us a note as well. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Mike is on the line now. Mike, what are your thoughts? Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm well. You? Oh, very good. Thanks. Uh, What I want to talk about, funny you should mention, you quoted uh, Dave's comments about uh, Trudeau there and the indigenous issues, and you think he's done a lot. What I'm trouble wrapping my head around, Scott, is Trudeau has done nothing. Last time I checked, People are describing the uh, indigenous graves as, as a genocide, as murder. Frankly, we don't know what really has happened. Is it neglect? Is it is it trauma? What is it? Last time I checked, those should be all criminal investigations. And all Trudeau can do is say he's sorry and call an election to distract from all the problems and issues we have in this country. There's no reason why uh, that we shouldn't be having in each of these provinces, criminal investigations to determine what happened to these children. Did they die of disease? I, I agree with you 100%. I, 
I agree with you 100%, Mike, and, and that should be done. My point with the Prime Minister was uh, with truth and reconciliation prior to all of this that uh, at least he has uh, brought it to uh, more to our attention over the last couple of years. But, yes, you're exactly right. Thanks for the call, Mike. Much, uh, much appreciated. Feel free, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. we got to move along. I want to bring in Peter Wollstonecroft, retired professor of political science. Uh, he is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you very much, and you too, Scott. Your thoughts on what you saw on the debate last night? Let's start with that, and uh, and the undecided voter here. Uh, have they got a place to go yet? I don't think so, and I don't think the debate last night helped them. And uh, I mean, when I look at the electorate, uh, undecided and decided people, I see people who are not very enthusiastic. And there's not much motivation or interest. Uh, people not too sure what the election is all about. In fact, as we know from the polls, 70-75% of Canadians think the election is unnecessary. And, you know, as I read, follow the media and I talk to people, people are very uh, angry. They're vexed. Uh, COVID-19 has hit them hard. All kinds of economic issues. Are we going through another lockdown? There's all fears of that kind. Um, so people are very rattled. Uh, people... People in the counseling world tell me they've been overwhelmed with people who are stressed out, and uh, so there's a lot of a lot of unhappy folk. So, uh, what will that do for the turnout? I don't know. I you know tonight's going to be interesting. I mean, I'll be watching the debate, uh, but I confess I will be switching to the baseball game, to the tennis, maybe the football <laughs> game. And now, wait I, a second, Peter. <laughs> well, I I I, I, I have. Uh, I have a very quick thumb, and uh, but you know uh, what I'm getting at is that a lot of families will say, excuse, "Excuse me, let's watch this. I don't want to watch this debate," because it is very hard to follow, because you got five people who are interjecting, and the the topics sound enormous. I mean, you got Blanchett saying, uh, "We need 28 billion dollars." I mean, it's very hard for anybody to relate to that. Um, and and there's no defining debate here. There's no defining question. I still yeah. don't know what the ballot question will be for any of the parties. Uh, and yet they know the polls. It's close. The Liberals have a um, – they're narrowing the gap, and they have a structural advantage because there's a bunch of seats in PI in Newfoundland and, and the north that they can more or less depend upon. And they're, they're thinly populated, so they get a lot of seats out of not many people. But what know, about they, what about the mood of what about the mood of Canadians, Peter? You talked about everybody's fatigued and, and some are angry. So uh, you, you said you weren't sure if that would keep the numbers down. My question is, would that drive them up? People are angry that they say when you're angry, that's when you go to the polls. Yeah, but I, I don't. And yeah, normally I would I'd be thinking that way, but I don't think people feel that they they have a clear option. I mean, I think O'Toole has provided some definition. For his party, but it's more him than his party, perhaps. The NDP and her Singh have done a good job, but I think they're playing within their normal range. I don't know if they're really breaking out into, say, 25% of the electorate as opposed to 20, 21%. And they've won a lot more seats if you're at 25%, but I don't think we're seeing that. So I don't see any, any great enthusiasm for the alternatives, and people are got all kinds of grievances uh, with Trudeau, but he's been in... in power for almost six years now so he has to carry a lot of luggage and we've gone through a very difficult time uh so i and and when the nature of the campaign has been such is that you can't you can't have these big rallies where people see great enthusiastic crowds cheering mm. on the the leader and they get caught up in the spirit of things and you don't have leaders saying i look at the world in terms of abc and somebody else saying no 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 it's xyz we don't have those kinds of existentialist choices here we, we really have uh, we're spending a lot of money that we don't have. That means we're printing it or borrowing it, and uh, my kids will pay the bill down the line. So, uh, will will go ahead? Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Well, as will the say, polls? I, don't, I don't know how you seize people at this point uh, with an election that they're they're unconvinced as to its necessity. So, will the polls now, Peter? The numbers now at virtually neck and neck. Will that reflect the result September twentieth? Do you think? Do you think we're heading for another well, minority? I, I think we're going to head for a minority. And and, and mo most Canadians are liberals, whether they're strong or weak. So there, there's some something for the liberals to build on in that regard. But 
Um, there are, there's, there's also a lot of hostility. I think the conservatives have a very interesting problem. It's not a good problem. Is that they, they have they have a clear problem with the People's Party. There's taking four to six percent of the vote, depending on the poll. One mm. poll had nine percent. I think that's a bit much. But anyway, four to six percent. Well, ordinarily, if those people were voting, they'd be voting conservative. So they're not there, uh, and that really hurts uh, Aaron O'Toole. But he can't. He's nothing he can do to entice those people because they've already made their mind, and they're gone with uh, Max Bernier. Uh, the, li- the Liberals have got some options, I mean, uh, and they can play the, the fear and loathing card. Hmm. And um, the loathing is, uh, look what the Conservatives do in their office. So there's sly jabs at Doug Ford and Jason Kenney, uh, uh, maybe Brian Pallister in, in Manitoba. They don't talk about the successful so far premiers of, in the Maritime Provinces. All right, Peter, we got to cut you off right there because we're unfortunately right out of time. We will continue this, though. Peter Wollstonecroft with us, retired professor of political science, talking about the debate which is coming tonight and that of last night and the undecided voters and where they may go. Man, the translators uh, had their work cut out for them uh, yesterday and did a great job of, uh, of course, telling us uh, what everybody was saying. Be careful. He says uh, he, he imposes things on uh, the indigenous peoples. So why is he doing the same thing? Uh, to Quebec. Because I am a Quebecer. That still doesn't give you, you the right to constantly, you keep forgetting, I'm a Quebecer. I'm a proud Quebecer. I've always been a Quebecer. I will always be a Quebecer. And I will always have a say in what happens in Quebec. You do not have a monopoly over Quebec. Man, when the, when the scrum starts like that and there's, and there's uh, questions and answers flying back and forth, it becomes incredibly difficult. So kudos to them. All right, let's bring in, and we're going to talk Talk about the debate, obviously, uh, last night and tonight. Let's bring in Jean-Bierre Tellier, Professor, School of Political Science, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Jean-Bierre, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. So your thoughts on the debate last night, and specifically that comment from the Prime Minister, uh, heard through the translator, uh, about uh, the Prime Minister being from Quebec. Well, that was the highlight of yesterday's debate, and it came just at the very end of the debate, which was kind of uh, monotone, I could say, up to a point. So there were not very much uh, sparks and, and big exchanges. Uh, we heard uh, more about generalities, leaders saying, you should vote for me because I have the best plan, or or the other are not credible, and that kind of thing. But at the end, Justin Trudeau kind of attacked, uh, attacked uh, Yves-François Blanchet on this issue of being a Quebecer. And I think he scores some points on that. And that shows the debate, the battleground in Quebec is about who's the best party to represent the interests of Quebecer in Ottawa. And for since the beginning of the campaign, uh, Blanchet has been saying, well, it's me. And then Trudeau replied yesterday. And I think maybe it could convince some voters to maybe give their support to the Liberal and not to the Bloc Québécois. What is standing out today for the people of Quebec? If they're watching this debate last night, what are they talking about today? Uh, I think they're talking about how uh, Trudeau performed well. Uh, There were no knockouts, but at the same time, he was able to establish his leadership. He was solid in the answer he was providing. Uh, contrary to O'Toole, uh, that did avoid a few uh, qu- tough questions. So he was saying, well, I have a plan, or uh, yes, we will be able to offer that, but without any specific details. And so Trudeau was able to be a bit more specific, but he was more specific on his uh, past initiatives, so or he was defending his mandate, his previous mandate, and that's what the incumbent is doing normally. But uh, about the future, he was maybe not as precise, like other leaders uh, also were not very precise. But overall, Trudeau has to show leadership, and he did present leadership, so he did not lose any points yesterday. And I think people are talking about that. Well, for Aaron O'Toole, he did not perform as good as maybe he should if he wants to continue to increase in the poll. And maybe he has plateaued, and that maybe is the sentiment in Quebec that uh, the conservatives maybe uh, are not as strong as as uh, we think uh, they, they were uh, two, three days ago. Who had the most to lose and the most to gain last night? Did that happen? 
the both it's it's a battle between O'Toole and Trudeau. Um, I think that Blanchette is there, but uh, he will keep his ground. But I don't think he may he will necessarily make some gain. Uh, O'Toole has a lot to uh, to lose. Uh, he still needs to be known. Uh, now it has been the third time that we have seen on him on TV. Contrary to the English debate, we have had three instances of some kind of debate between the leaders since the uh, campaign started. Uh, so he had to lose. He did not lose a lot, though. It was not a disaster yesterday. It's just that I think he could have done better. Uh, Trudeau had a lot to lose, and he did not lose yesterday, in my view. Now, as I said, there were no big jab and knockouts, and so there is not a clear winner. Um, but people that wanted to be reassured by Trudeau, I think, were reassured by Trudeau. And this issue of a childcare program uh, that the conservatives want to cut—that's uh, going to be a problem for them, not just in Quebec, I think, but for the rest of in the rest of Canada. Many said that the bloc uh, stopped Trudeau from winning his majority last time. What are you expecting this time? Do you think that uh, the bloc will hang on to the seats they have? I was more optimistic at the beginning of the campaign. For me, uh, it was kind of uh, obvious they would make some gains. But now, because there seems to be a battle between the conservative and the liberals, maybe some people that wanted to vote for the vote for the bloc may switch their vote for the liberals just to block the conservatives. So this idea of a strategic voting may be stronger than what I have anticipated at the beginning. And so that may occur. Uh, and so uh, the bloc uh, eventually could lose and the liberal could win uh, for, for that. Are you expecting a high turnout or a low turnout come September 20? I'm not sure. Uh, as a political scientist, that's one question I have. Uh, it could go either way. Uh, and we have seen other elections in Canada during the pandemic with hi- a higher turnout uh, in New Brunswick or a lower turnout like in Col- uh, British Columbia. So uh, I don't know. Again, it's a question of how strong people feel about the future, uh, what the, the party have to offer. There are some big differences. Uh, again, I'm talking about child care services. And so if people are feeling strongly and they want that, those services, they may go and vote more than what they anticipated at the beginning. Uh, but it, won't, it is not the big election we were anticipating uh, after a major pandemic. And so uh, this pandemic pandemic could have been important and reshaped the way Canadian government is doing things. I'm not sure we are seeing that. Uh, it's more business as usual. Uh, so maybe people will be disappointed. And that may be a reason why they may not go and vote uh, in this election. So I'm sorry, I don't have a, a clear answer to, to provide to you, but uh, that's surely something I don't know much. Uh, on, uh, John Viev uh, Tellier with us, Professor, School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa. John Viev, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you very much, Scott. You're all about drama and gossip. Well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, is Lisa still there? Lisa, are you going to ride here. this new? Are you going to ride this new LRT? Are you are you all stoked about this new LRT? I am very excited. I currently live right on the line, and I mean, I Ooh. am so excited. As someone who has been taking the HSR since high school, um, I can't wait to have some service that is, you know. World class. We deserve this in Hamilton. So I'm going to be, I can play devil's advocate here. So why, why can't you just ride a bus? What's the problem here, Lisa? Okay, well, we've been riding the bus and, you know, the buses only go so far. I mean, we, we have as many buses as we do. You know, service is not adequate in the city as it is. Um, you know, there are p- places in the city that don't have the same level of service. Uh, LRT is the option. This this is a $3.4 billion investment that, is, you know, also improves there are infrastructure in the city. We get better public transit. Or we can deploy those buses on that line to other parts of the city to improve transit. I just, I just feel like a lot of the criticism of this project is coming from people who don't even ride transit anyway. So why are we listening to their opinion? Why are we putting so much value into their opinions? So you don't think you think this is going to be a great economic driver as opposed to a epic fail? Well, we've already seen investment coming to the <laughs> yeah. city for years. <laughs> How can yeah. people dispute that at this point? I don't understand. I'm exhausted. 
I hear you, man. I, a, a lot of people are exhausted on that. Look at Ted. Uh, poll question of the day, as I mentioned, will the LRT be a great economic driver or uh, for the city or an epic fail? Will, what are the latest uh, numbers on this? 46.6% say great economic driver and 534 disagree, say epic fail. Okay, how many of them <laughs> are driving? How many of them are taking public transit? I just want to ask. Anyway... What? Yeah, there you go. You know what? We need to look at this the way we are the election. And on that note, look at this. I got my card. I got my card. I got my election card. I got my card. I got my card. I got my elections Canada card. I can go vote. I got my card. I got my card. I got my elections Canada card. Oh, geez. Oh, no. Do you think I'll still take it? Uh, Yeah, I was very excited. My wife got hers yesterday, and she goes, I didn't get yours, honey. What, what, what do you mean? Maybe, maybe somebody's trying to keep my, my voice out of here. But then today it arrived. And uh, here you go. Uh, Monday, September 20th, 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Advanced voting days. And, man, I'm going to be smoking this tomorrow. This card is going to be hot tomorrow. Uh, September 10, tomorrow, 11th, 12th, and 13th are the advanced voting dates, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., September 10, 11, 12th, and 13th. You know, I've started voting uh, in the advanced polls a couple of years ago. And uh, compared to voting on Election Day, you got way more option, way more everything. So uh, it is a it is a grand idea. It is a grand idea. I suggest that you do that. All right. Uh, going to talk LRT and the mem- uh, Memorandum of Understanding. We're going to bring in uh, somebody from the chamber. But first, let's play a quick clip of how the mayor feels about all of this. So the next step is really getting that procurement done, uh, finalizing the, the contract arrangements, getting some of the uh, additional properties that have to be acquired acquired so that uh, the shovels can get in the ground uh, in, in 2022. And I think we're talking about mid-2022 when, uh, you know, all of that work will be completed and uh, shovels can hit the ground and start, uh, you know, putting the uh, the construction employment job uh, phase into action. And, and the, the employment numbers here are significant. Of course, uh, Memorandum of Understanding has been signed. Uh, council the other day voting 11 in th- uh, to 3 in favor. Uh, clearing one more hurdle for this project. To talk more about all of this, uh, let's bring in Paul Shacklebitz, Policy and Government Relations Advisor for the Chamber of Commerce in Hamilton and is with us now. Paul, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. I uh, have to say, long-time listener, but this is the first time we've uh, we've spoken. So congratulations on the new program uh, to you and your team as well. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. We greatly appreciate that. So uh, how are you feeling this week compared to where we have been, the journey, the hurdles, the falls? Uh, what, what, is, what are your thoughts at the Chamber this week? Hey, that's a pretty interesting question, of course. And uh, no one, sorry, it's no secret to anyone, the, the long-term support and advocacy that has come from the Chamber on this project to not only the municipal government, but also to provincial and federal governments. And we really think that we've been instrumental alongside, you know, a number of different community partners in securing this investment and then also looking at how to make this investment work for Hamilton. So we, we can't help but, you know, finally commend council and members of the GIC as well as city staff for their work to date on this. And we, we really believe that LRT is the right uh, transit solution for Hamilton as the first step of the BLAST rapid transit network. Um, this is going to be transformational. It's, it's proven to work in many other jurisdictions, and it's going to improve the lives of many. At the end of the day, transit is a service, and this is a major service improvement that also contains the benefits of economic uplift, job creation, development investment, and is also going to reduce emissions. So big win for us. We've uh, we've been very fortunate in here Hamilton recently, as I'm sure everyone's been aware of, to see uh, major funding coming from both upper levels of government, whether it be the $3.4 billion for LRT, $900 million for uh, bus rapid transit co- conversations and investments, two-way all-day go, and the Morrison Bypass. It's, it's, it's a really great time to be in Hamilton, I think, as uh, upper levels of government are really making uh, strategic investments that are going to help uh, sustain the growth and momentum that we have here in our community. And it seemed to be, Paul, all those three levels of government getting involved and, and let's be honest, coming in, coming up with the money, that's how, that's what pushed this over the edge. That's what, what really, well, how can we turn our back on this? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we made that very clear, our, our president and CEO, Keenan Loomis, alongside uh, 
Joseph Mancinelli from Leuna, of course, and expressing our uh, strong urge to Council to uh, to make the right decision on this as, you know, economic recovery. How can you say no to this job creation, pandemic supports? There's There's a lot of really big wins here. And of course, while it would have been ideal to have this decision already a couple years ago, and you can just think about how um, how much benefit and how much work could have got done during the last few years when, you know, there's been less traffic than historically uh, yeah. would have been along that route. But regardless, we're, we're really, you know, excited where we are and we're glad that councillors and even historically some of those who were skeptical about, you know, the benefits of this project came on board yesterday. And next week we'll see the ratification, fingers crossed, that nothing changes uh, in the next few days here. Uh, you laugh, but, you know, there's every reason to be cautious. But are you confident we've cleared the last hurdle here, Paul? Yeah, I, I think that we really have. And, um, you know, based on the conversation and the discussion that took place at yesterday's General Issues Committee, where Metrolinx was present, uh, the ministry was present, uh, I think that there was a lot of, you know, key questions that are addressed in the MOU in terms of, you know, what's happening next, what role uh, the city is going to play in that, um, that we have some answers to long-standing questions that um, councillors and the public have been asking for a while. So it was refreshing to see that. Um, and I think that reality is reflected in how the votes uh, went down yesterday. How are your members feeling about this? Is everybody on board? Uh, even with the, you know, we heard a business, obviously there'll be business dis- disruptions and such. Is everybody on board with this? So from what we hear from our members, and of course, this isn't like it's been our, uh, we've been shy on our opinion on this Mm. matter, that, um, yeah, our our membership is is on board with this. And it's not like um, we've we've been sitting on our hands just endorsing this project. In fact, we've really historically done a lot of work to help uh, ensure that this is the right project for our community and that we will support our members through this um, a couple of years ago, and we will be bringing this back, was a, was a Yes LRT campaign that you might uh, recall that we did in partnership with Metrolinx, where mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time and energy, you know, going along the route, consulting with businesses, whether they are chamber members or not, uh, to communicate to them in terms of what some of the scope of the work is going to be, but then also really to listen to them about what they are going to need from uh, all levels of government and also from uh, chamber, for example, or other community organizations to support them through what will be a couple years of construction. There will be a staged approach to that, of course, but um, there, it's not um, unfair to say that those concerns aren't legitimate. Um, in response to that, a major uh, campaign that we participated in, and now during the pandemic has actually become a far more uh, prominent conversation, is on the Provincial Digital Main Street Program, where what it does is it provides uh, funding to businesses to help get them online, and if they already are online, to help maximize their returns on that investment. So we 100% will be uh, starting up uh, an iteration of that Yes LRT campaign, whether it's in partnership with the city and Metro Links, um, is to be told, but we, we're going to be there for our members, and as I said at the beginning, it's it's no secret to our membership in terms of where we stand on this issue. Very exciting time for the city, and of course, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce on board. Paul Shacklewitz with us, Policy and Government Relations Advisor uh, with the Chamber. Uh, where our fingers are crossed just so we get this over the end line, and we can all sit in this train and ding the bell and have a great ride. But, Paul, uh, it certainly looks uh, like, uh, great news. And and as well as you said, it is a extremely exciting time to be in the city, isn't it? Absolutely. And it'll be even more exciting when it's that uh, that opening day. And, you know, we really look forward to, to being there alongside with, you know, a number of other community partners who have been championing this uh, for for a long time now. Paul Shacklewitz with us, Policy and Government Relations Advisor, Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Thank you, Paul. Be well. It's time for another edition of uh, Countdown to Ted. Ted, Ted. Uh, coming up December 15th, Ted is calling it a very illustrious career, hanging around and doing uh, the health and wellness yep. show and stuff. Other stuff, uh, yeah. Yeah, other stuff uh, around here, but he's, he's, he says, I've had enough of these guys. Put, I'm yeah, gone. You know, I'm gone. So, yeah, uh, very quick point. Let's emphasize that, that I'm stepping down full time from the station, but I will still be here doing stuff. So I'll be on the air, just not as much, and I, I won't right. be in the hallways bugging people.
Will you will you come in and do a, sh- uh, a bit with us every so often? Every so often. Who's who, who's clapping in the background there? It's I like, don't know. <laughs> I, will Will keeps inviting people into the studio, and I hope they're masked. That's all I can say. Uh, they were at the bus stop. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, 97 days uh, you got. I want to tell him we got a yeah. hey, way to go, Will. You got to snort out of Teddy. Uh, so I, I want to talk about, uh, and you know, I'll take over for this one if you want. Um, well, no, I'm going to just bring it up and then you tell the story. Yeah. I know one of your favorite bands is Chicago. Yes. And you and I uh, were hosting an event at Carmen's for, I believe it was Good Shepherd. And I, well, you did all of this. Somehow you, you booked the band, got them in, mm-hmm. uh, got them the red M&Ms and everything they needed to come up here and and I'll never forget being upstairs at Carmen's in their uh, beautiful little lounge up there yep. at the Carmen's Hotel see a hotel and 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 you meeting the band for the first time and my goodness it was like a kid seeing Santa Claus you it know, was unbelievable you know, go ahead and and I recall because what they said was okay I'm, and I was in the lobby of the hotel you know, chatting with somebody and somebody said they're here Oh, all right. So I trundled down the hall and um, turned the corner, and here come the members of the band coming off the bus. And I introduced myself to each guy and called them by their first name. I think the first guy was Walt Perizader, the um, original sax player. Um, you know, and, and they, they, they seemed really surprised that I knew who they were and first name, and here's where you, you know, you room and all that other stuff. Jim Panko, who is the trombone player, the original guy. Now, this is my idol, Scott. You know, mm. he... This is the guy who I just, as I said, idolized. And he comes up to me and I shake his Because you hand. played the trombone. Well, no, I, I thought I did. But, um, and, 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 um, and I, I introduced myself to him and I said, you know, I, I've been a fan of yours for 40 years. And, like, I couldn't get the words out. Like, uh, what, I know what you mean. What am I, 12? You know? <laughs> I hear you. I you know? hear you. And, and I'm talking to him and he just puts his hand on my shoulder and said, it's okay, man. It's going to be great working with you tonight. And it was just, you know, right from yeah. that moment. And then met them, um, had a little bite with them backstage. And they're all, once I got past the initial, and I'm not normally starstruck. These I guys I were, but after about 20 minutes, it's like, they're, they're just as loopy as I am. It's great. You know, they're, <laughs> these, these, these guys. You no, know, you're as loopy as they are. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, they're just, just a lot of fun. No ego. They really yeah. apparently, um, not apparently, they just like to play. They said, you know, their line is, we get paid for traveling. We play yeah. for free. So, yeah, and they came on point. and they put on an absolutely great show. And, you know, like it's, it's when you meet somebody that you idolize growing up, it's like, oh man, then you realize, you know what? It's an, a hackneyed expression. They're just people. But and you boy, were, you were very much a part of making this all happen. Well, no, they? I just, I, I was, I, I convinced a few people, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, 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 and I understand this was, the, they hadn't been up here in a while, or this was their first time up here? What they, was that? They hadn't played in Hamilton since Mac. Uh, uh, this was in, oh God, when was it, 2015-ish? They hadn't played in Hamilton since McMaster back in 1969. Yeah, you know, wow. so so they was like, whoa, this is a long time. So it was, because <laughs> I remember Peter Mercanti from Garments, I was talking to him because I was standing up on the balcony looking down. He goes, Jesus, Ted, he said, all this all this mu- loud music in the speakers is going to shatter all of our plates. And I said, no, Peter, it's okay. Don't worry about the sound. It's good. And the sound was crystal clear, but he was worried about glasses shattering and, you know, plates. Right. You know, was, no, 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 no. This isn't the way it was. It was fine. So it was a great night and uh, i remember it very vividly and of course uh the look on your face when those uh when they were all up there playing was just uh absolutely incredible another memorable moment yep. and of course there's lots more we'll talk about yep. them at this time again tomorrow as we do another countdown to chad 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 uh thanks so much bud uh all right and and and, and again uh you can uh come up with the story for tomorrow all right uh <laughs> let's move on jeez what am i supposed to do 98 days of stories yeah no i come don't on. have that we many get, we get 98 days of stories on the average week from you i mean come on <laughs> give me a break here come on you, you can pull it together all right thank you ted as always uh and again uh always always ted in the halls and and, and always a great deal of fun Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is.
Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Whole question of the day today, uh, do you think this whole LRT thing is going to be a great economic driver for the city or an epic fail? Uh, Will, do you got the latest on this? 47.8 say great economic driver, 52.2 say epic fail. Uh, there you go. Uh, you know what? Uh, I even think people be riding this thing, and and you know, it'll be brand new and it'll be shiny. It'll whisk them from one end of the town to the other. Ah, it still sucks. It's stupid. You know, I, I, the doors close too fast. I can't get on in time. The doors close too slow. Man, I could walk there. You know, we're, we're bound to hear that, yeah, no matter what happens. And I guess that's just uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, it is 549. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton today. And would it be anything else? And coming up later, it's Hamilton tonight with Scott Radley, uh, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, I, was, I really wasn't aware you were that much of a Rush fan. Oh. I don't know what to say that. I mean, I, just because I don't have the Getty Lee hair going on right now, you know, should not preclude the... the Maybe rush. that was it. You just didn't look like a, a Rush uh, fan. Maybe that's it. But, you know, that how you know, all you need is a wig and a black T-shirt. You're there. When did we lose Scott? <laughs> is he gone? Oh, man. All right. I think you offended him. I think I might have. Or maybe he just went over to the turntable to turn the album over. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Will is doing his best to get uh, Radley back on the show. By the way, the poll question of the day, uh, will will LRT be a, a giant economic driver for the city or an epic fail? I love this poll question of the day because... It does capture, it does capture the true meaning of Hamiltonians. Feel free to go on our Twitter page and you can vote tomorrow. Uh, Rick Zampern on Good Morning Hamilton will uh, have the results of this. Sorry, uh, you were talking Rush and you hung up on us. Did I offend you or something? Yeah, no, it, it is, this is the dangers of, of working in the basement bunker with a cell phone. Occasionally the, uh, the signal just goes kaput. But um, no, it's, uh, if I was to try and grow the Getty Lee, hair at this point it would be a majestic skullet that it just could not possibly look good so i just listened to the you look more you'd look more like yeah you'd look more like kim mitchell kim mitchell or hulk hogan minus (laughs) the the muscles all right i gotta mention something to you because i heard a promo the other day and i just howled because uh a promo for your show because uh it reminded me very much of my wife and i can't remember exactly what you said but it was something along the lines at what point did the deli platter become the charcuterie board? It's so pretentious, isn't it? It's so precious. <laughs> it is pretentious. And, and cool it, you explain explain what a charcuterie board is to those that may not know. Well, it's, it's a deli it's, platter. It's a deli platter. It's cold cuts and grapes with a few crackers scattered randomly around it. But now, if we call it a charcuterie board, we can charge $35 for it. Whereas before, a deli platter was, you know, under 10 bucks. So I think it's about the garnishes. It's the decor. Like you said, it's got special things, grapes, and, you know, but it's unlike parsley. You can eat them. It, it, this would be like all of a sudden deciding that we're no longer going to call it a hamburger. It's a, you know, a, a braised grilled mashed steak. But let's be honest. But let's be honest. I, I've seen women with like a, a four footer, like a four foot charcuterie board, and it's like you know you just take it and you just sit it on the table and you just load up around that sort of thing. And um, but it's about the board. I know because my wife bought a board. So uh, I have not, you know, in all this, I have never looked up what the translation of charcuterie is, um, and I don't know. As you say, I don't know. If it I can't even spell it. Itself. Well, neither could I, but, you know, I'm sure there's somebody who speaks French out there. I think it's French. Um, I believe it is, yes. So, I mean, I, I don't know if it refers to the piece of wood that's underneath food or the food itself. I uh, don't mind the dog. But um, anyway, it, it, is, it is nothing more than a way to charge more for the same old cold cuts. So can you buy, uh, like when you buy a, like you buy a deli platter, it's like got all the stuff on it, but you know, uh, can you buy, like go to Fortino's and get a charcuterie board with stuff on it? You buy it that way? I assume, I assume, although I never No, I think you, because... no, you get the board, you have the board and then you buy the stuff and assemble it yourself. That's the difference. It's a homemade deli platter, Scott. Well, unless you go to a restaurant and order the charcuterie board, then you got to sell one of your major organs to pay for it. <laughs> 
you know, Will because came up with a. Will had a great point in all of this. What do we call the assorted sub now? Is it a charcuterie sub? It's a charcuterie sub. That's right. And now it's twenty seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No and, sale and so on that. You, no, and and now they're going to start. You go to Mister Sub or you go to Subway now. They're going to be in addition to putting the uh, the calories. They're going to have to put which wine it pairs well with. This 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 charcuterie sub goes lovely with a Pinot Grigio or or a Coke from our fountain. You know, I even uh, my wife knows of someone who makes them, like in his wood shop, and like they people pay money for them. It looks like a giant paddle almost. Like you, you know, it looks like a thin pizza thing that they put in the pizza oven. I suppose that if you had, if you were up at the cottage and had some old oars from your canoe that were, you know, <laughs> getting past the point of good use, just saw them off at the oh, white line. You sell it as a charcuterie board. All right. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can hear him tonight. Also, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Go feed your dog. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. See ya. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is 5.56. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening, as always. Now he's got my dog started. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks to Will and the whole team for uh, bringing this together today. As always, we greatly appreciate it. And you, of course, for listening, as always, on Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. We leave it to you, the loyal local listener, and give you the last word. Last time I checked, People are describing the uh, indigenous graves as, as a genocide, as murder. Frankly, we don't know what really has happened. Those should be all criminal investigations. 